Good morning, everyone. I hope you all had a wonderful time celebrating our Savior's birth yesterday. As your pastoral intern, I'm very excited to unwrap God's word with you today. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Psalms. We'll be in a very familiar passage today, Psalm 23. If you're using the church Bibles, it's page 458, and those Bibles can be found underneath the chair in front of you. Psalm 23. Before we begin, let us come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this day to worship you. We have prayed to you, we have praised your great name, and now we come before you to listen to what you have to say to us this morning. O Lord, may your will be done in the hearts of your people. May you teach us, encourage us, refocus us, and break us down so that we may be built up in Christ, our beloved Savior. And may it all be for your glory alone. It is in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen. Psalm 23 was written by King David, and King David was a shepherd. From the sheepfold to his leadership of Israel, David would care for his sheep and would look after them well. We might say that shepherding runs through his veins and that it characterizes his life. As a shepherd boy, when a lion or bear would come to carry off a sheep from his father's flock, David would look for it, and when he found it, he would rescue it from the beast's mouth. Another example of David's shepherding is his treatment of King Saul's grandson, the last descendant of the man who tried to kill him. This man had been lost for years and could have been treated as an enemy, but David takes him into his own home, seats him at his own table, and treats him as his own son. Yes, David is a shepherd, and he's a good one at that, but even his shepherding only dimly reflects the shepherding of our great shepherd, the one for whom his heart had worshipped. And his desire is to point everyone to the grandness of this great shepherd in our psalm this morning. Starting in verse 1, Psalm 23 reads as follows. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For those taking notes, the outline for this morning's message is as follows. Point number one, the Lord is our great shepherd. Point number two, the Lord is our great shepherd who leads us to restoration. Point number three, the Lord is our great shepherd who leads us through dark times. And point number four, the Lord is our great shepherd who leads us home. Let's begin with point number one, the Lord is our great shepherd. In verse one, David begins his song with a bold declaration, the Lord is my shepherd. This is not a very politically correct statement. Why is that? Why in the world would David start his song claiming God as his shepherd? Well, it's because all the gods in the surrounding nations were shepherds. Mesopotamia's god Shamash, he's a shepherd. Philistia's god Dagon, he's a shepherd too. Why is that? 
It's because sheep are completely dependent on their shepherd to provide for them. So pagan gods, the ones people often look to to provide food, riches, children, and protection, were often referred to as shepherds by their worshipers. So when David says that the Lord is my shepherd, he is boldly proclaiming Yahweh, the God of Israel, to be his one and only shepherd. Mesopotamia's God Shamash, not a shepherd. Philistia's God Dagon, an imposter. It's like when we say Jesus is the only, one and only God in our day. It's a bold statement. Buddha, you're fake. Islam's Allah, you're an imposter. David is declaring Yahweh to be the true shepherd and the only shepherd. And the implication is that all the pagan gods are not shepherds at all and are completely false. What's more, David is reaching back into Israel's history and declaring something that originated with one of the forefathers, Jacob. As he was dying, Jacob said to his son, Joseph, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. This goes to show that the Lord as shepherd is rooted in the history of God's people and that there is a long line of people who viewed Yahweh this way. And in the first line of his song to the Lord, David is restating this fact for himself. Others may place their hope in their many gods or their wealth or their armies or their political power, but not me. I trust and hope in Yahweh alone. He is my great shepherd. But what does it mean for the Lord to be our shepherd? Continuing with that last part in verse 1, we read, I shall not want. A shepherd provides everything for his flock of sheep. They are helpless animals without him, and we are helpless animals without the Lord. The Lord provides everything for you, Christian. There is nothing that you have right now that is not from the very hand of God. He is providing for your physical needs. The air you breathe, the job you have, the family that you love, it's all from the Lord. The Lord is also providing for your spiritual needs. Your faith in Christ, your righteous standing before God, your love for him, your church family, your eternal place with the Lord in heaven. It's all from your great shepherd, Christian. And over and above everything else, you have the Lord himself. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And the Father is your Father. He provides everything for you as a member of his flock. And most importantly, he provides himself. Friends, I think it's right to ask, do we view the Lord as our shepherd? Are we looking to him to provide what we need most? We may not have a Dagon or a Shamash as our shepherd, but we might have other things that we look to instead of the great shepherd. Perhaps we depend on our possessions or look for a certain relationship to provide for us. Maybe we allow entertainment to be our guide or seek out social media for comfort. But they are not shepherds like our great shepherd. Throughout our weeks and when we come to worship on Sundays, we must look to the great shepherd and hear from his word. We should desire to gain from him his wisdom and guidance. And we need to look and seek out his loving care. Brothers and sisters, if God has become a distant deity, then we are living independently from him. And for some of us, David's statement is the statement we need to make today. The Lord is my shepherd. We need to come back under his guidance and know that he is the only one we can truly depend on.
Let's continue on to point number two. The Lord is our great shepherd who leads us to restoration. Look down at verse two. It reads, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. When the Lord is shepherding you, he provides what you need and takes you where you want to go. The green pastures and still waters are what God gives us when we come to him. But we must look to him as our shepherd and follow after him. David is using poetic language in his song to reveal what he is receiving from his shepherd. The green pastures and the still waters point to God's abundant provisions, God restoring his soul, and God leading him down paths of righteousness. As still waters refresh and cleanse one's body, the Lord refreshes and cleanses the hearts of his people. And these paths of righteousness that the shepherd leads us down can be times of restoration, stability, and calmness. David goes into what these green pastures and still waters mean for him in verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here's a picture of sanctification. This is how God makes his sheep more holy. He restores our souls. What had been completely broken is now getting fixed. Your soul that had at one time hated God is being mended to love him. What had once stubbornly resisted him is desiring more and more to follow all he says. Your great shepherd is leading you into paths of righteousness, and you are able to walk through those paths because of his excellent work in you. This is sanctification, brothers and sisters. And all of this glorifies the Lord because he is the one that is restoring, and he is the one that is leading you in paths of righteousness. He is the one that is sanctifying us. It is all for his name's sake. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And doesn't David know this restoration? How much more broken can someone get? He had been unfaithful to his wife, committing adultery. She gets pregnant, and in an attempt to cover up his sin, he orders for that woman's husband to be left alone on the battlefield to die. A man who had been his loyal follower and faithful soldier, David murders his friend. But the great shepherd is there to sanctify and restore his soul. He sends his prophet Nathan to him and to say, You are not on a path of righteousness, David, but on a path of wickedness. And after getting called out about his sin with Bathsheba and his sin against her husband Uriah, David could only say, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the Lord restoring a soul. This is the Lord leading him down to the path of righteousness. David's confession is that first step towards his restoration. Often that is our first step as well. And in response to his confession, the Lord says through Nathan, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David continues describing God's restoration process in Psalm 51. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Sanctification begins with the admission and confession that only God can restore our sinful soul. And it ends with the admission and confession that only God can fix us. Brothers and sisters, the Lord can take the sinful heart of David and restore it by bringing him to a place of repentance. And the Lord can refine your heart in the same way as well. But we must look to the great shepherd to restore our souls and not to anyone or anything else. I'm not simply talking about the moment of your salvation or when Christ met or when we will meet Christ face to face. But right now, we each need to look to him today. This is our great, what our great shepherd does. None of us have made it yet. As his sheep, our souls need continual fixing and we constantly need to be led down paths of righteousness. Only a perfect shepherd can do this. And by his work of sanctification, it is the Lord who is glorified. Look at what this great shepherd does. He can make the unclean clean. He can make the unrighteous righteous. He can make the sinner a saint. He can make the dead alive. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he made a point to emphasize the one who brings us to the pastures and the waters. The focus is on the great shepherd and not just on the provisions or even a cleansed heart. There was a point in Jesus' ministry where crowds would follow him for hours until they were famished. And Jesus, seeing that, feeds 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. He gives bread and fish to all until they are satisfied. But later after he sees that the crowd only wanted to get full on loaves of bread, he tells them not to seek the food that is here today and gone tomorrow, but to seek him. Because he is the food that endures to eternal life. He is the living bread from heaven that if anyone eats will live forever. He is the abundant life, the finest pasture that he provides for his sheep. Likewise, when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, he guides her after she wonders what will ultimately satisfy her after, because she had been with her fifth or sixth man by that point. He guides her where to go to get that which will satisfy her thirst. He leads her right to the living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus himself is that water. He takes you exactly where you need to go and gives you exactly what you need. He gives you himself. The Lord leads us to lush green pastures and to quiet still waters. But Christ is the living food and the living water that our souls ultimately need. And who we will want to go to to get the very best he has to give. And that very best is the great shepherd himself. Continuing with point number three, the Lord is our great shepherd who leads us through dark times. Our understanding of God's shepherding continues to be enlarged with verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Life is not all green pastures, still waters and restoration. It often contains things that are hard to make sense of. And in verse 4, we are welcome to the darkest valley. While the green pastures are where we all want to go, the dark valley is where none of us want to go. Imagine your worst nightmare and that you have walked into it. Some of us are there right now, but know that God is there guiding, protecting, and providing for you during your darkest time in life. David is familiar with this dark valley. 
while following after God's righteous path, King Saul is chasing him. He is homeless. He has to escape Saul's murderous attempts. His best friend is brutally killed in battle. Men mock him, and his wife thinks he's a fool. And some of his dark valleys were due to his own sin. He loses a child because of it, has a son that rebels against him. And as his days are coming to a close, he experiences a plague that kills 70,000 of his own people. Talk about some dark valleys. Life is not all calm pastures and quiet streams. And while we don't know when this psalm was written, I would like to think it was close to his death. Regardless, David experiences some really dark valleys, yet he is still able to boldly declare, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David just wants God. He desires God as his shepherd, whether it is in the peaceful pastures or the dark valley. This rod that David speaks of is a club on the shepherd's belt. It's used to protect sheep. When God's word speaks of the rod, it is typically used to speak of discipline. And the staff is usually used to guide the sheep while walking, and it can defend against predators. So we can take comfort knowing that our great shepherd is conscious of us. He knows who are his. He keeps enemies away. He guides us, and he sustains us with his shepherding tools. These are not some fashion items to highlight his shepherd's guard. No, he is actively using them throughout the darkest valley. The lions and the bears are there. They are coming at you ferociously, but the great shepherd is there with you, using his rod and his staff to care for you and see you through the place where no one wants to go. He is with us, even when it seems like he is not. We often think that dark valleys and evil times mean that the Lord has abandoned us, but it actually may be the time where we feel his presence the most. A vivid example of the Lord shepherding David through a dark valley took place before David became a king. While in the wilderness, David and his men were protecting a rich man's sheep and shepherds while the shepherds were shearing the flock. David, in need of food and drink, sends messengers to ask this rich man, Nabal, if he could spare some food. Nabal has plenty to spare, but instead of providing for the men that protected him, the ones who put their lives on the line for him, Nabal asks, what's the big deal about David, and then calls him a slave. This is unfair treatment. David has entered a dark valley, and it is about to get even darker, because in his anger, he sets off to go kill Nabal and all the men in his household. But then the great shepherd intervenes. He sends Nabal's wife, Abigail, to meet David before he arrives to avenge himself. The great shepherd then provides for David and his men. Abigail gives David bread, wine, butchered meat, raisins, and figs so they can survive in the wilderness. Through his servant, Abigail, the great shepherd prevents David from taking revenge on, into his own hands and keeps him from a troubled conscience. He sets David back on the path of righteousness, and in response, David can't help but say, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. The great shepherd saw David through yet another dark valley. The Lord was with him. His rod and his staff protected him. David did not go down the path of evil, but was instead comforted by his great shepherd. Some of you are in a dark valley right now. Perhaps your trial is similar to one of David's. You have been treated unfairly. There are troubles in your family life. A loved one has died. You may be encountering the consequences of your own sin. Perhaps COVID has made you weary. 
Know, Christian, that the Lord is with you. He is with you right now in this very hour. Know that you do not need to fear. His presence is with you more than ever, more than you know. He wants you to depend on him. He wants to show you that you can take comfort in the fact that his rod and his staff are there protecting you. Our last and final point, point number four, the Lord is our great shepherd who leads us home. Verse five and six, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here we see a shift in the song setting. David sweeps us up, taking us from the darkest valley to a prepared table in the great shepherd's own house. And at this table are David's subdued enemies, oil freshening his face and giving it a delightful fragrance and a cup overflowing with abundance. The table displays the great shepherd's protection and vindication against enemies. The oil signifies God setting David apart as king. And the overflowing cup conveys God's abundant blessing and David's salvation. David goes from the nightmare of the dark valley to a place of peace in the great shepherd's home. His own life reflects this portion of the song. Looking at the entirety of his life, he sees how the great shepherd has subdued his enemies. There's the defeat of Goliath, Nabal's coma and death, King Saul's demise, his many victories against the nation's armies. The Lord subdues all these enemies and finally gives David peace. And David's anointing comes into full effect. Samuel had anointed David with oil when he was a young boy, marking him Saul's successor, but he didn't become king for years. His great shepherd sees him through those years, which sometimes were very dark. He sees him endure the harassment of King Saul, and afterwards, he establishes David as king. The great shepherd takes David from the caves and sets him on the throne of Israel. His head is anointed with oil. And David sees that his cup is overflowing. The great shepherd has given him a great friend like Jonathan, a faithful wife like Abigail, a loyal army, his crowning as king, a promise from God to bless his descendants' throne forever, an abundance of grace that was shown to him after his fall. And above all, he has his Lord, the great shepherd. This is God's goodness and the mercy that had been following David all the days of his life. His cup is spilling over. And because we are saved by Christ's death and life, a table is being prepared for you, Christian. It is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Former enemies of God made friends will be seated at the table of the Lord. God's word says you are blessed to be invited to this supper. There are your enemies of sin, the world, the flesh, death, Satan's armies, and Satan himself will be subdued and no more. The Lord will reign over these enemies and your cup will overflow with rejoicing as you exalt and give all the glory to God. You'll be clothed in righteousness and be ready to meet your groom, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The day is coming soon where the table will be fully prepared and ready. You'll be anointed to your eternal state, fresh and cleansed of all sin. And your cup will be overflowing because you will be in the presence of your great shepherd. Does the marriage supper of the lamb and the meeting of our groom face to face move our hearts, brothers and sisters? How are we preparing for this day ourselves? What do we need to do to prepare? 
Friends, we need to be getting ready because Jesus himself is preparing our eternal home. In John 14, he says to his disciples, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. This is truly goodness and mercy. The rebellious, unfaithful, unloving sinner given a home in the house of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the God and maker of this universe, is getting everything ready for us for all of eternity. The great shepherd is guiding each of his sheep home. It is where David is at now and where we shall soon be. Truly, this is a beautiful song about the great shepherd. And unlike what you see in the movies, this psalm isn't just to be said at funerals. Instead, it is to be of great comfort for those that are living. But this psalm must be considered in its context. What comes before Psalm 23 is Psalm 22. Some of its verses include, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. These are the words David wrote in a song right before our passage. The truths of Psalm 22 make possible the truths in Psalm 23. What this means is that Psalm 23 is for believers. Now that does not mean that I'm wanting to push any unbelievers out. In fact, I desire the exact opposite. I really want Psalm 23 to be for those that do not know God yet. But if you want to experience the truths we looked at and be under the care of the great shepherd, then you have to go through the door of the sheepfold. Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You can't stand next to the door thinking you're going to go through it someday. You can't try to slip in through the back of the sheepfold or try to climb over the fence. You must go through the door, and that door is Jesus Christ. You must believe in him. He is the way, the only way to enter into the sheepfold and to be a sheep under the great shepherd. So repent of your sin today. Repent like David did and turn to Jesus Christ by faith. He is calling you to be in his family and to follow him from now into all of eternity. Place your faith in Jesus and this great shepherd can be yours. He will guide you just as he is guiding everyone who trusts in him. And for us, church family, what lies ahead in 2022 remains to be seen. But remember and be certain of this, that a great shepherd will be guiding us, bringing us down the righteous path, abundantly providing for us, restoring us, protecting us, comforting us, being ever-present, being good, and being merciful. And through it all, he will be glorified both now and into all of eternity. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm that from the time that it was written until now has provided your people comfort. You are our great shepherd, but we are so often stiff-necked sheep. Your goodness and mercy are clearly evident in our lives, but we often wander off and get lost in sin. May these truths that, you heard, that we heard about you today draw us back to you, Lord. May we direct our eyes to you, follow your commands, be led by your direction, 
Go down your paths and direct our lives to your loving care. Thank you for our place at your table, the overflowing cup, and letting us dwell in your house forever. Thank you for your son, Christ, who shed blood, made all this possible. It is in his name I pray all these things. Amen.